May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. There is an expression that has been used in the church for centuries. And you've probably heard it before, and it's widely attributed to St. Augustine. And I think perhaps a little bit unfairly. The, the expression is faith-seeking understanding. And what St. Augustine actually said thousands of years ago was this, unless you believe, you will not understand. See, for Augustine, the way he framed this is that faith is a prerequisite condition for understanding the things of God. You cannot come to God with an inquisitive mind and begin to study and explore unless you first have faith that grounds your understanding. That was what Augustine meant. It's a fancy way of saying that God really can't be intellectualized. You can't understand the truth of God unless you come from a place of faith first. So about 700 years after Augustine, St. Anselm of Canterbury adopted the phrase that we know today, faith-seeking understanding, as sort of his life's motto. And Professor Thomas Williams says that there are two common understandings of the way that Anselm used this phrase. The first is that Anselm was really just repeating Augustine. He was saying the same thing for his generation in a more updated way. You must have faith in order to understand. You can't approach God or ask questions or study unless you're coming from a place of faith first. The second uh, misunderstanding, according to Professor Williams, is that Anselm was actually refuting Augustine. He was saying that faith isn't good enough, and what your goal on the journey of faith to do is to replace sort of a naive faith with understanding. You will get to a point eventually where you have an epiphany and you suddenly understand God as if that were possible for any of us on this journey of faith to get to the point where we really fully understand God. So Professor Williams argues that for Anselm, the, his position was something more like this. Faith based on belief alone is dead faith. If your faith is only based on what you know and what you comprehend and what you understand, it's never going to get there. And the best translation of Anselm is probably actually this. It's an active love of God, seeking a deeper knowledge of God. Faith seeking understanding is an active love of God, seeking a deeper knowledge of God. And even though St. Luke predates Anselm of Canterbury by more than a thousand years, we see this play out in the life of St. Luke the Evangelist. Now, St. Luke's feast day was, is actually the 18th of October. It was Tuesday, and we have transferred it today. Today, the proper day for today is the feast of St. James of Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus, whose feast day is October 23rd. But honoring St. Luke is a tradition in this congregation that goes back many years. And 
uh, on Tuesday when we met for morning prayer and we prayed the daily office, the reading for the Feast of St. Luke in the daily office comes from Luke chapter 1. Now the story that Luke lays out in his gospel begins with Zachariah and Elizabeth. And Zachariah is a priest. They're an older couple. They don't have any children. An angel shows up and tells Zachariah, you're going to be a dad. And he laughs and says, I think you've got the wrong guy. And the angel says, here's your punishment. And you're not allowed to talk for the next nine months until the baby is born. (laughs) And so it's, it's a whole thing that unfolds. This is the opening story in the Gospel of Luke. But it's not the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, and our reading in the daily office that day is the four verses that precede this wonderful story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, a section where Luke says, after having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, I have also decided to write a carefully ordered account for you, most honorable Theophilus. I want you to have confidence in the soundness of the instruction you have received. So Luke is telling his friend Theophilus that I've done some research and I'm writing a report. If he were writing this today, it might say something like this. Hey buddy, I've been looking into this guy Jesus that we've both, both heard so much about and I have discovered in doing my research that there's something to the story of this Jesus guy. And so beginning with that wonderful story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, Luke lays out a beautiful and compelling life of Jesus. We get the wonderful birth narrative in Luke with the angels and the shepherds. We hear about Jesus' travels and his teaching. We hear about his suffering, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And it's a wonderful story that Luke tells from his research. But the thing about Luke's gospel is that the stories have just a little bit of a different bent to them, especially when you compare them with Matthew and Mark, which are the other synoptic gospels that share sort of a common tradition. Because you see, Luke is widely, to, widely believed to have been non-Jewish, born in modern-day Syria, a Greek-speaking Roman citizen, likely a doctor, someone who heard the stories about Jesus as Jesus was traveling around the countryside and said, I've got to know more about this guy. And as Luke begins to lay out his story, there's something unique about Luke's gospel because the message there is that Jesus is Lord of all of creation, not just a Jewish messianic figure who's come to bring salvation to the people of Israel. In Luke's mind, he is also the Lord of Greek-speaking Roman doctors from Syria. So Walter Rauschenbusch writes that it is not a coincidence that in Luke's biography of this Jesus character, Jesus begins his ministry with the words we read today in our gospel lesson. It is a proclamation of freedom, of healing, of belonging. It is the message of the kingdom of God, the key message of Jesus that Luke comes back to over and over and over. But it is not just a message for Jewish folks living in and around Jerusalem. It is a love for all of humanity, 
And as Rauschenbusch says, love with Jesus was not a flickering or wayward emotion, but the highest and most steadfast energy of a will bent on creating fellowship, fellowship with all of humanity. And Walter Rauschenbusch knew this better than most people because he was the son of a Baptist pastor. He grew up in a very devout family. They had a good home, a steady income. He went to a great seminary. And when he got out of seminary, he took his first church in Hell's Kitchen in New York City at the turn of the 20th century. And if you know anything about New York City history, that was a rough part of town then. The working poor were everywhere. People who had jobs in factories who were being exploited. So even though they're working long hours, they never make enough money to get ahead, to put enough food on the table to feed their families, to have clothes and the other things that families need. So the young people turn to violence and to crime in order to have the money that they need to make a better life for themselves. It seems to be the only option. And Rauschenbusch, the pastor's kid from a good seminary, looks at the situation in Hell's Kitchen and says, this can't, this can't be. How, how is this possible? And he devotes from that moment on the rest of his life to working with those on the margins, the working poor who are being abused and exploited. He becomes the advocate of their cause. He lives among them as one of them and is their pastor and their friend. You see, the call of the gospel fundamentally changed Walter Rauschenbusch. The faith that he had learned in his parents' home the faith that he had studied so diligently in seminary. It needed an application. The truth, as he had experienced, required more than intellectual assent. It required action. And friends, I believe this is what faith-seeking understanding is all about. It is learning the truth and then understanding what that truth requires of you. And that story is just as true of St. Luke as it was of Walter Rauschenbusch. Because you see, Luke's gospel starts with this claim, I've done this research, I've heard some things about this guy Jesus, and I've looked into his life. Luke is the researcher, the historian, the curious onlooker sitting on the side, writing an intellectual organized account of this life, of the life of Jesus. But as he learns more about Jesus, he begins to see something there. There's hope for a new future. There's hope for a new creation, one that is not built on the injustices and the exploitation and the oppression of the Roman Empire that he sees all around him. He realizes that this truth in this man, Jesus, requires a response from him. And Luke's response shows up very subtly in a way that most of us probably miss. Because, you see, Luke wrote a second book of the Bible, Acts. And in Acts chapter 16, Luke is telling the story of the Apostle Paul's call to go to Macedonia. And he writes this. 
Paul and his companions traveled throughout the regions of Phrygia and Galatia, and they went down to Mysia. And there Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia during the night. He stood urging Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. And immediately after he saw the vision, we prepared to leave for the province of Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. Did you hear the difference? It goes from Paul and his companions, they, them, he, to we and to us. The truth of what Luke learned in the life of this man Jesus changed his life so fundamentally that he knew he could no longer sit on the sidelines studying, theorizing, writing. The truth of his encounter with Jesus changed everything. Luke stands for everyone who heard the truth about Jesus and wondered, what is this story all about? Luke is everyone who faithfully asked what all of this means. Where is God's kingdom? And what must I do to be a part of it? Luke is everyone brave enough to ask what the truth of Christ means for me in my life, in my place, in my situation. And Luke is everyone who realizes that faith is not just something you think about, something that you can understand with your mind, but it's what your mind tells your heart and what your heart tells your hands and what you go out and do in the world to make a difference, to reflect the life of this man, Jesus, who continues to change the world in us and through us. Luke's commitment to this story changed everything. The physician became Paul's companion, traveling with him, enduring shipwrecks and persecution and beatings and trials. But the truth was there. The call to spread the good news of God's kingdom was there, and he didn't give up. A reading from 2 Timothy says that everyone has abandoned Paul. They've all gone off and left him, except for one person, Luke. He's still there. He's still there until the end. Unwavering, unshakable. So I think there's a question and a call there for all of us today, no matter where we are on this journey of faith. Because if you are uncertain and searching, do what Luke did. Look into the stories of this man, Jesus. Hear Christ's words of love with an open mind and an open heart and allow yourself to be changed. If you've already experienced that truth, where can that experience be applied? You might not be called to go to a rough neighborhood like Walter Rauschenbusch, and you might not be called to go on a perilous missionary journey full of shipwrecks like Luke. But make no mistake, friends, you are called. There is something that God is inviting you to do in the world. And if you are like Luke, 
and you've said yes to this adventure, and you are in the middle of this journey, and things are hard, and the future is uncertain, and maybe you feel like giving up, don't. Stay true until the end. Where can your active love of God find a place to see that love transform into understanding? That might just be the place God is calling you.